Hey, Hillside, uh, good morning. It is so great that you're with us this morning. I got to say, you look good today. Uh, if you're watching with somebody, turn to them and say, you look good. And if you're watching uh, by yourself, you can say to yourself, self, you look marvelous. And you really do. And, and again, Chinese New Year's coming up, and I want to wish you a very happy to all of you. Happy Chinese New Year. I um, want to give you a quick update before we get into our message. Uh, Irene Barker, who we've uh, shared, has been uh, a saint in our church, uh, one of our founding staff and founding elders. Uh, she uh, went home to be with Jesus a week ago. And this coming Saturday, there's going to be a service, a celebration service online. Uh, it's hosted at Calvary Baptist, uh, so you can go to their site, or we will post a uh, video link, YouTube link, uh, on Friday in our Friday reminder, and you can get it then. Uh, it's at 12 noon, uh, and uh, followed by a drive-by blessing at 2. You can actually drive by and wish Dave and his family a blessing at Calvary Baptist. Again, all the details will be online, so you can grab those. I'm really glad you're with us this morning, though, as we jump into our new series in the Gospel of Matthew. I, I've been looking forward to this, learning from Matthew's perspective on the life and teachings of Jesus. Matthew, uh, as some of you may not know, was an apprentice for Jesus for close to three years, and I believe it's, he's got some insights and wisdom, and, and this series is going to challenge us and deepen our faith and help us be better apprentices to Jesus. Just a heads up, Matthew is a big book, and so we plan we'll, we'll probably be skipping uh, the odd passage here and there, and we'll probably actually pause and, and insert another series as God leads, and uh, you don't need to worry about that, but we do want to get through this book, and it's going to be really, really good. So are you up for it? Awesome. Awesome. Today, uh, we're plunging into the third chapter. If you've got a Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 3, but it's there where we get introduced to John the Baptist. Not to be confused with John the Pentecostal or John the Presbyterian. You know what's great right now? I can't hear you groaning. Isn't that good? <laughs> so awesome. Um, John the Baptist is described as having a simple calling, kind of summed up to prepare the way because someone is coming. Get ready, someone's on the way. It's kind of his big preach. Now, truth is, most of us, when we hear that someone is coming, say, to our homes as a guest, we respond differently depending on who's coming and what they're coming about. Uh, during COVID, I, I don't think we prepare at all. Have, have any of you had an experience? You've showed up at somebody's doorstep to deliver something, and they come to the door, and you're like, wow, you definitely weren't prepared for guests, were you? I, I really feel sorry for uh, skip the dishes drivers and delivery drivers right now. They get some shocks at doorsteps, uh, all, all good. But remember back maybe uh, like a year ago when, when guests did arrive at our homes? You know, if it's an old friend, somebody who, somebody described old friends to me one time as they're like comfortable shoes. But you got an old friend who, who shows up at your home maybe to watch the Super Bowl together um, you're, you're happy wearing your sweats, and you just got a pot of chili on the stove, right? Uh, for me, it's, what, what, you know, it, it, if the queen's coming, comparably, uh, my mother, if it's my mother, 
we go on this wild tear, making sure everything's right, cleaning every corner and nook of the house. I even get a haircut. In our text in Matthew's gospel, John the Baptist told the people of his day, and he tells the people of our day that someone is coming. He tells us who that person is, why he's visiting, and how we ought to get ready. If you have a Bible, let's again, let's read from Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather uh, belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to to where he was baptizing, he said to them, "'You brood of vipers, snakes, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath?' Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise the children of Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering the wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your messenger, John. And I pray this morning that you would, again, as we pray week after week, would you open our ears and our eyes and our hearts And help us to walk this path with you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, just for some big picture context, you you, got to know that the people of Israel had been waiting for hundreds of years in expectation of the coming of the Messiah. Prophets had been promising for centuries that God would, would send a redeemer, a savior who would rescue them, who would deliver them from, from oppression and make all things right. But for a long time, it's been pretty quiet on the God front for the people of Israel. Uh, some of you know what that's like, long seasons where it seems like God is absent. No prophet's voice had been heard in Israel for, for four or 500 years. And so as John the Baptist comes and, and begins his ministry, some were wondering, and, and some, frankly, they were hoping that maybe he was the promised Messiah, but because, because he kind of came with prophetic authority and power. I, I've always loved the description of John that we have in this passage. John lived out in the boonies, my dad would say, <laughs> the wilderness, and he, he ate whatever he could find on hand, you know, uh, locusts, crickets, yeah, some of you know I, I once ate crickets for Jesus, uh, wild honey. Um, Jesus was into, or, or John, I should say, was into organic food. Maybe Jesus too. 
On that diet, I don't picture John as a well-fed, kind of beefy, big guy like, like, like me. Uh, I imagine him as kind of rascally, lean, and wiry, uh, you know, sun-baked character living off the land. Even his clothing, you know, coarse camel hair, it says, with a wide leather belt. By the way, his dress, his clothing would have been a a clear cue back to Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, who was described as having similar fashion tastes. Later on in Matthew 17, Jesus would, would say that John the Baptist was this Elijah character who was promised to come as a forerunner to the Messiah. Now again, fascinating to me that instead of going to his local town, to the center of the city, to, to stand on a soapbox where more people could hear him, again, John goes out into the wild where no one wanted to go. Yet apparently, people from all over, from Jerusalem and from Judea and from the whole Jordan Valley, came out to hear him speak. John's message was relentless. He, he didn't seem to care, as you read, who he offended by his preaching. Um, do you remember last week's, uh, the Apostle Paul's words, uh, speaking the truth in love? It's clear to me that John never heard Paul preach those words. <laughs> he preached the truth with kind of both guns blazing. And, and John knew even if, if the people who heard him didn't, he knew he was not the promised one. John, John knew that his job was to prepare the way for the promised one, one who John says, I'm not even worthy to touch or carry his shoes. What John did know what the was that the time of the Messiah's coming was very near. And you get the sense, just like the people who longed for the Messiah to come, John, too, was eagerly anticipating and hoping and waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Now, one of the things that John was relentless about in his preaching was repenting, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Get ready, he shouts. Repent, he says. And I guess the question I have for us this morning is, how does repentance prepare us for the coming of Jesus in our lives? I want to look this morning at five different ways that John talks about repentance. First, John preaches the shortest sermon ever written. Don't you wish this is that? It's not. Sorry. Uh, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In the Greek, it's only seven words, but this will also be the message that, that Jesus preaches when he begins his ministry. His message is simply, turn your lives around because here comes the kingdom of God. That's it. Turn, the basic meaning of, of repent. And it's kind of urgent, like as in, turn now. <laughs> God's kingdom is gaining on you. Somebody's coming. Get ready. And John preaches passionately that This whole passage and his whole message is intense because he believes that if people do not turn their lives around, they'll be sorry that they did not. We'll we'll turn from what? Implied in this passage, it's a turning from sin. The time has come to turn away from our old sinful patterns and habits, from our pride and our, our greed that is so ingrained in us, and to embrace a way of thinking and being that lines up with the kingdom, with God's kingdom that is coming, a whole new kingdom mindset. By the way, I'm looking forward to next week's message. Simon 
Peacock is going to be here preaching. Uh, he's our resident uh, regent seminary student, and uh, he taught a class on the Gospel of Matthew this last summer. You can actually find that on our classes page on our website. But he's going to help us look at some of the larger themes of the whole Gospel and book of Matthew, kind of like from the 30,000-foot level. Now, Simon is a real smart guy, and he's got wisdom and insight into the life of Jesus, but he, he actually sounds smarter because if you know him, he speaks with an English accent, you know, like this Oxford accent. So I got to tell you, whatever he brings, it's going to be good. We're, you're just going to want to listen to him next week. I, I, I don't want to steal his thunder, but one of the primary themes of the Gospel of Matthew is this coming of God's kingdom that becomes available in Jesus the King. I mean, John announces it, Jesus announces it, and if we're going to be serious at all about, you know, what Jesus taught and how Jesus lived, we've got to pay attention to this coming of the kingdom. The, the coming of God's kingdom is actually a big, broad-reaching deal. I like how renowned scholar Dale Bruner describes its impact. He says, Kingdom indicates that God is about to do a big world event and not just a big individual event. A cosmic thing and not just a heart thing. What happens when God comes is not going to be grape shot. It's going to be, get this, nuclear. A kind of explosion, a reshaping of the earth. He says a kingdom is coming when God comes. Couldn't help but picture that scene at the end of Lord of the Rings, right? You knew I had to go there, didn't you? Where they defeat, the ring is destroyed, and victory is achieved, and this pulse of goodness wipes out the wicked and uh, brings in a new day. Well, in preparation for the imminent arrival of God, we're, we're urged to take it seriously. We're urged to repent, to turn around, to change. And, and we don't do this so that the kingdom will come, but because the kingdom is coming whether we turn or not. As Bruner says, we, we don't bring the kingdom by our turning. We experience the kingdom's coming either blessedly by going to our knees or banefully by turning our backs. You could almost reframe John's message to, ready or not, here God comes. Now, if what repentance is is still kind of unclear to us, we learn a lot about how people responded to John's message. Verse 6, and when they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. It would seem that the strong effect of John the Baptist on the people is a deep sense of their brokenness, a deep sense of their sin, a sense there's something wrong in their lives that needs to be addressed. Now, now, a really important thing for us to see here in that verse is that the remedy for sin is not in denying it, uh, not in explaining it away, not in blaming somebody else in our life for it, but confessing it by, by openly admitting it. Because here's the deal, we're, we're only free from sin when we face it. As someone said, we disown sin by owning it. Proverbs 28, 13 makes this really clear. He says, people who conceal their sins will not prosper, but if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. I love that. 
Listen to Psalm 32 and how it beautifully expresses the power of confession and the resulting forgiveness that God gives. He says, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of guilt, whose lives are lived in complete honesty. When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. This, the psalmist describes this kind of freedom and forgiveness that comes with admitting our sins to God. As I was thinking about this, I remembered a, a powerful film that Angel and I watched many, many years ago called Dead Man Walking. And it's about a, a convicted man of, of, murder, of murder. He's on death row. He's, he's played by, by Sean Penn. And the, the movie shows his relationship with a regularly visiting nun who shows up like week after week. And, and she's in this awkward place. Uh, she's trying with all her might to empathize with both this convict and with the victims. And as the days and hours and minutes kind of tick down towards his impending execution, she does all that she can to try and seek a stay of, of his execution, while at the same time pleading with this man for his soul. And she urges him over and over again to confess, but he stubbornly denies that he's done anything wrong at first. I'm innocent. And then finally, he moves to admitting it, but he kind of blames the victims. But the film reaches this amazing and, and powerful climax when, when he owns it. He, he admits his utter and brutal and just simply awful wrongdoing. And, and the film portrays this cathartic moment where, where he experiences peace and forgiveness. And uh, he would go to his death experiencing a, a newfound um, healing from God. And so how to repent? How do, do, so how do we repent? How do we turn? How do we make a way for Jesus in our lives? It, it's pretty simple. We do it by kind of owning up, by admitting where we've broken God's lot, where we've rebelled, where we've sinned. We're admitting we cannot and have not done what we ought to do, and we need both a pardon for our extraordinary mess, and we need an extraordinary help to get out of it. Now, now John, in our passage, did something with the people who were repenting to help move it beyond just a kind of a, a head or heart thing. Um, he baptized them. He's called John the Baptist, not because he was Baptist, uh, but because he was a baptizer. Baptism comes from an ordinary Greek word, which means to dip, as in under the water. It's the kind of do, thing, thing some of you do when you wash your dishes. You take a cup, a dirty cup, and you place it under the water, and you scrub it, and you pull it up, put it on the rack to dry. It's just an ordinary activity. Uh, John provided baptism, this, this simple tradition, as an outward ritual that pointed towards a person's inward decision to repent of their sins. 
Now, John's baptism is a curious thing. Baptism wasn't something new. Immersion in water was required for anyone to enter into the temple if they'd been unclean. And so if you visit Jerusalem, you can see the remains of these to this day. They're called mikvahs, these little purification baths. And they have two sets of stairs, and you walk down into these spring-fed fountains, and you walk in unclean on one side, and you walk into the water, and you walk out ritually pure on the other side. Uh, This kind of cleansing bath was also a requirement for people, for foreigners, for Gentiles, to to become a member of, of the community. It was a way for an outsider to kind of publicly profess, your God will be my God, and I want to be part of the people of Yahweh. By the way, that's one of the amazing things about Jesus and his kingdom that he brings. It's always drawing in the outsiders, the Gentiles. Uh, God makes a way for anyone and everyone to be added to his family. Some of you remember back in December when we looked at Matthew chapter 1 and this genealogy of Jesus. And it's a remarkable genealogy because it features in it something that wouldn't happen in ancient genealogies. Four disreputable women were, were featured quite prominently in that genealogy. It's astounding, really. And it's, an, it's evidence of God's amazing grace. Uh, my, my friend Jordan, he often says this about Jesus. He's a pastor, and he's got this line. He says, Jesus is always for the last, the least, the lost, the little, and the nearly dead. So good. This invitation that John makes and later Jesus makes is for everyone. Just as true, the need to repent and confess is for everyone, even those that think they don't need to do it. This brings us to another idea of repentance. In verse 7 it says, But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptize, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, we're safe for we're descendants of Abraham. What John was saying here, and he wasn't mincing any words doing it, I I don't think uh, brood of snakes was meant as a compliment, just so you know. But what he says is, here is that even the recognized full-time religious people, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, those whom everyone would expect that would have the least need to repent, can't fall back on their status of being, you know, religious leaders or have go- growing up in the faith as, as being children of Abraham, he calls them. And so, for instance, saying that I grew up Catholic, or I I prayed a prayer when I was 10, or I've got Christian parents, or I've gone to church my whole life, or I do lots of good things. Those behaviors, those those experiences, wouldn't cut it in, in John's opinion. He says, prove by the way you live that you've repented of your sins and turned to God. Another version says, show fruit in keeping with repentance. It's, it's kind of like my wife has said to me in, occasionally in our 28 years of marriage. Um, you saying sorry, but then going on to repeat the offense immediately after doesn't feel like a genuine apology, right? I, I hate it when she's right. <laughs> I really do. 
I, I don't know if you've ever been guilty, guilty of this, but apologizing for something and in the very next breath justifying it, anyone? Or is it just me? Uh, there needs to be fruit in keeping with my apology for it to be a genuine apology. doesn't mean you never make mistakes again, but it, there needs to be that, that true turning that goes on. And so our lives need to show evidence that, that we've turned away from sin and have turned toward God. Our, our repentance is proved authentic through the fruit of our lives. There's a lot of talk here about fruit, about Jesus wanting to separate from us that which is fruitless. He's, there's this talk of the axe at the tree, right? The, the fruit being pruned and how Jesus wants the fruit. He doesn't want the chaff. He burns that up. But it's because the arrival of the kingdom of God in our lives will bring with it real spiritual life that will produce change in us from the inside out. Finally, John tells us that repentance is just kind of the beginning of our journey. I, uh, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John can do a great deal, many things, according to Matthew. He can preach God's law of repentance. He can prepare the way. He can baptize. He can receive confession for sin. And best of all, he can point us to Jesus. But what John can't do is he can't forgive sins. And he can't give us his spirit. I love how Dale Bruner puts it. He says, even John's magnificent ministry cannot remove our main problem, sin, or impart our main resource, the spirit. To repent is to turn around. But friends, it probably matters just as much the turning from sin. It's what you turn towards that matters most. As you turn away from old habits and patterns of sin, what we turn toward is Jesus to a life of apprenticeship under him. And here's the thing. He's, he's actually the one qualified to deal with our sin problem because he's the one that through his life and through his death and resurrection, he actually conquered the power of sin. <laughs> really... Um, John's saying, prepare the way. Jesus is the one who prepares the way. It turns out we can't even repent unless he makes the first move in our lives. Jesus is that good. And, and what he does is he sends us his spirit. In case you wondered what the baptism of the spirit is, that's what happens when we invite Jesus to forgive our sin and invite him to be king or lord or guide of our lives. He then gives us his Holy Spirit, who lives in us and empowers us to turn and keep on turning. I'm sure there's a song. Yes, there has been. I'm, I'm confident of that. So John says, prepare the way. Repent. Turn, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. A couple thoughts of response this morning. In, in talking about sin this morning, there may be those of you, even as we were talking about it, God began to put his finger on something in your life that you need to be repenting of. 
some place where you have rebelled or some place where you have um, willfully kind of gone the wrong way. I, I, I don't know what it is in your life. I, I know what it is in mine. God has put his fingers on things in my life this week. I know that one of the Holy Spirit's jobs in our life when he comes is actually to convict us of our sin, to let us know what, that what that is is wrong, that what that is is, is going to twist us and burn us. It's, it's going to harm us. It's going to hurt others. It's going to break our, our relationship with the world around us and with God, even with ourselves. Here's the thing when the Spirit comes to convict, he, he never condemns. I, I love that about the Spirit. He's so loving. And, and, and folks, it, when you're in the wrong and you feel condemned, that might have more to do with kind of family issues, family or, of origin stuff. Uh, often it's the enemy who he condemns and uh, accuses. He's known as that. But one of the Holy Spirit's jobs in our lives is to kind of shine a light on the way we're living, on our hearts. He shines a light on what's wrong in our lives, stuff that threatens to steal our life and our joy and our, and our peace. He exposes sin not so that you'll be found out, but so that you'll be free. Speaking of speaking the truth in love, the Holy Spirit is a genius at this. I, I wonder this morning, have you given the, the Holy Spirit permission to speak to you about your sin? That might be a step for you because the Holy Spirit, no one speaks the truth in love like, like our God does. So the, inform, the invitation really this morning is to come clean, to, to bring it before Jesus, to seek his forgiveness and his mercy, which he promises he'll give. First John 1 John 1.9, some of you know this verse by heart, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says of our hearts in another scripture, he takes our sins which are like scarlet and he makes them white as snow. And so one step is confessing, but the next is to actually ask for help, asking for the Spirit of God to help you set a new pattern for your life, to help, him, to help you kind of walk out the truth. That's also the Spirit's job, by the way. He exposes sin, yes. He exposes what's wrong, but he amazingly empowers us then to do what's right. He gives you the possibility of actually walking a new way because he's giving you the power to do that. As, as Kevin and, and Caden sang, let, it, let us in song, Christ in us, the, the hope of glory, the hope of actually doing what's right. I, I want us to take a moment. If God has indeed put his finger on some area of your life right now where you just know I gotta, I gotta bring that before God. I need to confess that. Why don't we do that right in this moment? I'm going to encourage you to just to pray and confess and ask for his pardon and forgiveness and invite him to help you go a new way. I'm going to give you a few moments of silence to pray.
Some of my best confessions are written down. Um, you'd love to get a, your hands on my journal because that's where I, I find I can just kind of detail my stuff. And, and uh, that might be helpful for some of you who, who want to confess and repent and, and uh, bring the stuff in your life that's wrong to him. He, he assures you of pardon this morning. The other thing I was thinking about for many of us, just another possible response, many of you have experienced the joys of repentance. You turned to Jesus maybe a long, long time ago and you've been walking in that freedom and, and seeking with all your heart to walk in the light. And I want to say this morning, God loves that heart in you. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. God loves that about you. He loves your contrite spirit. He loves that you're open to him and to his spirit. And I just wonder again, this is just a hunch, that God wants to do something even deeper in you. And, and, and you know what? He, he doesn't just actually heal us of the sins we know about. It's sometimes it's the stuff we don't know about. It, it's so deep in us. We're so unaware. We're blind to it. And Jesus wants to bring his healing and cleansing to that. I, I, you know, for me, last year, you know, again, even recently, again, I'm, I'm going... I've got some attitudes that I thought, I thought I didn't have. And God's been putting his finger on that, you know. And, uh, and I've been able to bring that before the Lord. And I, and I feel like I'm on a journey of repentance in, in that area of my life as I'm seeking to change with God's help. I wonder for you if, if God wants to just open your eyes to uh, a change. Maybe uh, this week I sensed God asking me, Derwin, be quick to turn. When I bring something to mind, be quick to turn. Be quick to repent. And, and I, I sense that's an invitation for you this morning, of being open to what the Spirit might expose. And, and you can just pray. And why don't we do that right now? Why don't we pray that God would open your, your eyes and my eyes to those patterns that we don't even know are harmful to us. God's so patient for us. And I'm, I, I'm sensing that God wants permission to go that another layer down. Amen? You know, in a week or so, we're entering what historically in the church has been a season of repentance. For the 40 days uh, plus Sundays before Easter, uh, it's a season of Lent. Lent is meant to be a time of reflection and repentance and deepening discipleship. It's a time to confess our sins and to ask God to forgive and cleanse and help us. It's a time to intentionally turn towards Jesus and his love and especially remembering all that he went through and in giving his life for us. And this Lenten season, which begins on, on February 17th, we'll be having on that Wednesday night a, a very brief Ash Wednesday service online. We'd love for you to join us for that. And then each Sunday through Lent, we'll, we'll share the Lord's Supper every week. Uh, kind of, again, together turning towards Jesus and his amazing love for us. And we'll encourage each other as we consider together how we may more deeply walk out this 
life of apprenticeship to Jesus our Lord. Let me pray, and then we'll, we'll close with one quick song. But uh, Lord Jesus, uh, thank you this morning that you've met us. Thank you for John the Baptist, who invites us to clear the path, to make a way, to get ready for your coming. And Jesus, you've come with your kingdom, and you, you want to come very personally into each of our lives. Open us up to your arrival. Open us up and prepare the way, Lord, in our hearts, in our attitudes, in our behaviors, that, that you might find us ready. And Jesus, we pray, would you continue to forgive us of our sin? We admit it before you that we are so, so, so prone to wander. We so easily stray, and you, by your grace, keep bringing us back. And so I pray you'd do that for many this morning, giving us freedom as we walk with you. We pray these things this morning with such gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen.